Can you swim? Good. Because you're going on a journey to the deepest point of the Pacific Ocean. Now, put on your flippers. The very bottom of the Mariana Trench is awaiting. Now, get in the water. Really? Come on! Alright. One foot underwater. That's the depth you can swim with no special gear like a mask. Hey, look! Must be some tourists. Or whales. 10 feet underwater. That's a little deeper than the public pools and beaches around the United States. You can see colorful fish and even photoplankton that feed on the sun's rays. 26 feet down. This is the depth at which the foundations of the floating city of Venice in Italy stand. Builders laid columns at that depth on which they later built houses and streets. 30 feet underwater. You start to feel a lot of pressure. When you're on the surface, you're under atmospheric pressure, 15 pounds per square inch. But here, at 30 feet, that pressure is doubled. All the air pockets in your body, like your lungs or ears, begin to compress from this pressure, giving you discomfort. But no worries, your organs are soft and elastic, so you can keep diving. 40 feet underwater. Oops, you're running out of air. An average person can hold their breath for 30 to 90 seconds. The current record is an incredible 24 minutes and 37 seconds. Gasp. Okay, you'll need some diving equipment to continue your descent. There you go. Thank you very much. (laughs) Tourists dive to this depth to look at reefs and corals. You don't need special skills for that, but you can't dive any deeper without training or a license. 45 feet down. Be careful. There's sharks swimming here looking for food, like you. (laughs) Sometimes tourists descend to this depth in a safe cage to see the sharks up close. You're better off staying away from these predators and not attracting their attention. So make sure you're not wearing any bright and shiny jewelry. Sharks love that kind of thing. 62 feet underwater. You could see the Aquarius Reef Base Lab in Florida at this depth, if you were in Florida. It's really an entire building with rooms for exploring the seafloor, accessible through a hatch. 105 feet down, you see a strange bell hanging from a chain. People used to use these things for deep diving about 400 years ago. They'd lower a bell on chains with divers inside from a ship. There was enough air inside the bell for them to breathe. That way, they could explore sunken ships with treasures. 140 feet. At this depth, you could find an entire sunken city in Qianda Lake, China. You can still see streets, houses, and temples there. 330 feet. Whoa! You almost hit a huge blue whale. How could you miss it? These guys, the size of two train cars, usually dive to that depth. Let's listen to them sing for a while. It's beautiful. Now, let's keep going. 660 feet. This is where most of the ocean life ends. Sun rays hardly penetrate any deeper into the water. Everything below are unusual fish like this angler. They have such an unusual appearance because they have to adapt to the high pressure here. 702 feet underwater. This is the last mark where you'd see a human without diving equipment. This man holds the title of the deepest man on Earth, and he's the only one who has managed to get to this depth. The water pressure on his body here was 20 times greater than that on the surface. 985 feet. Ooh, what was that sound? Whoa, that's a submarine. That's the maximum depth they can dive to. Some of them can reach speeds of 26 miles per hour. 
Fun fact, an ostrich can run twice as fast, but she can't swim. 1,090 feet. Say bye to this scuba diver. You won't see them any deeper than this. The world record was set in the Red Sea. It only took the diver 12 minutes to reach this depth. But it took him a whole 15 hours to return to the surface to avoid decompression sickness. So now you get an atmospheric deep diving suit. It's completely sealed, and you won't feel the insane water pressure on your body in it. 1,454 feet. If you stuck the Empire State Building in the water, its tip would be here. And all the carpet inside of it would be wet. 2,300 feet down. The water pressure here is 70 times greater than on the surface. The flexible plastic parts of your suit can't withstand that kind of pressure. So here's some urgent delivery. It's an ultra-deep submersible. Now you can continue your dive all the way down. 2,717 feet. Here you'd see the tip of the tallest building on Earth, the Burj Khalifa. Alright, who's sinking all the tall buildings around here? 5,387 feet. This is the depth of one of the oldest and deepest lakes in the world, Lake Baikal. Its area is slightly larger than the entire country of Belgium. 8,040 feet. That's the record depth the Perdido oil platform reaches in the Gulf of Mexico. And its above-water part with three decks is almost as high as the Eiffel Tower. 11,962 feet. This is the average depth of the Atlantic Ocean. You can see a huge tube as wide as a giraffe's neck. And it just seems to be endless. True, this cable connected Europe and North America and used to serve for telegraph communications. 12,303 feet underwater. Suddenly, in the darkness, you see the outline of a ship. No way! That's the Titanic itself! The intense water pressure would crush a person at this depth. So you can only dive down to the Titanic in a submarine. 13,123 feet. Whoa! Here would be the end of the deepest mine in the world, Imponen Gold Mine in Africa. But you still have deeper places to go. Let's speed up! 20,000 feet. Here you can see the deepest debris of an old ship. The USS Johnson sank more than 70 years ago. You can still clearly see the number 557 on its bow. 26,200 feet. Here, in this total darkness, you'll find the deepest fish in the world, the Mariana snailfish. They're as long as a domestic kitten and have almost transparent skin. Their eyes are poorly developed for vision because the sunlight never reaches this deep. 29,030 feet. If you take Mount Everest, flip it over, and stick it into the Marianas Trench, this is exactly where you'd see its tip. Even though this is the highest point on our planet, you'd still have a lot deeper to go. 35,755 feet down. Here, in the Challenger Deep, you'd still see life. You'd need a microscope for that, though. Bacteria living here feed on organic molecules, similar to oil. A little deeper? Congrats! You've touched the bottom. It's 36,070 feet deep. The pressure here is 1,071 times higher than on the surface. But you're not the first person to have been here. One of the last expeditions to the bottom of the Mariana Trench was in 2012. An American filmmaker descended here in a submarine he designed himself. But the pressure broke some of the engines, so it was hard for him to maneuver here. The sonar was also damaged, and some of the batteries drained. He was in the Challenger Deep for about 3 hours and took many pictures and videos. 
If you look closely at the bottom itself, you can see bubbles. It's carbon dioxide and liquid sulfur. It's freezing here because of the extreme pressure and temperature close to freezing. But there's still life here in these harsh conditions. The three microorganisms are most common here. Xenophyophores, amphipods, and small sea cucumbers. There's so few of them because they don't have enough food down here. Usually, there's a lot of palm leaves on the ocean floor, which get there from the land. But the Mariana Trench is 124 miles from the nearest islands. So the only food here is old plankton and fish scales from the ocean's upper layers. But it needs to travel tens of thousands of feet to become food for the bottom dwellers. But can you go even lower into the crust of the Earth? Well then, you'll need to unleash your giant drill and fire up the jet engines. You're pushing another 36 miles through the Earth's crust. And here is its edge. You've entered the upper mantle. It's an ocean of hot lava, 1,800 miles deep. You have to literally swim through this, reaching the outer core, another 1,400 miles deep. Then you reach the inner core, another 755 miles, and congrats! You're at the very center of the Earth. Um, I hate to ask, but how do we get out of here? What if 99% of humanity disappeared? First off, we're talking about a massive reduction in people. Leaving only 80 million humans on the entire planet. But hey, don't panic just yet. Let's see how this wild ride would unfold. Imagine bustling cities turned into ghost towns, empty highways and quiet neighborhoods. It'd be like a never-ending vacation for those left behind. Of course, there'd be some challenges to tackle, like whoops, untended gas mains causing fires, and those abandoned chemical storage facilities and industrial plants might create some pollution. Oh, and let's not forget about abandoned nuclear power plants. Wild animals would be more free, and poor domestic cattle and sheep would struggle in cold northern climates. To make things worse, stored gasoline wouldn't last long because it's not so great at staying stable. Let's get to the silver lining. With only 80 million people, there would be plenty of resources. Organizing and salvaging whatever's left would be totally doable, especially in smaller countries like Belgium. They'd probably have a, hey, we got this attitude. They'd have just around 120,000 folks left all within a couple of hours drive from each other. That is, of course, if this remaining 1% of the world's population is scattered around the planet equally based on countries' populations before this event happened. In this case, pretty much every nation would face a similar situation. Imagine South Korea with half a million people, mostly hanging out together. Brazil would have two million inhabitants chilling out along the Atlantic coast. Hopefully, unlike those movies where post-apocalyptic gangs go mad, the survivors would try to stick together in their old communities. These resourceful fellas would band together in new family and village communities, and they'd have the knowledge and skills to handle any troublemakers. Remember, we're social creatures, and we'd want to stick together to face the unknown. Well, at least we wouldn't have to start from scratch here. We'd have a major advantage. All the knowledge accumulated by humanity would still be with us. If we had electricity and internet available, we would be okay. So, would we re-industrialize? Yeah, we would. We'd have tools and machines still lying around, giving us a head start. Sure, renewable energy might be tricky at first, and we might have to rely on fossil fuels like coal, but we're resourceful, and we'd find a way to make it work. 
Plus, we'd have some brilliant minds with critical skills who'd step up to the challenge. This type of stuff kind of happened in real life. Think of the historical collapse events. They made an epic comeback that spanned centuries. Back in the 14th century, a plague struck and claimed the lives of up to half of all Europeans. The Middle East was also impacted, with around a tenth of the global population succumbing to the disease. Surprisingly, this devastating event had little negative impact on Europe's technological and economic progress. And two centuries later, the population eventually rebounded to how it was before. Two other instances of collapse are that of Rome and the Bronze Age. Both brought down impressive civilizations that had enjoyed technological advancements, and economic prosperity, and engaged in international trade. The Bronze Age collapse occurred between 1200 and 1150 BCE, leading to the fall of Mycenaean, Mycenaean Greece and Hittite, Hittite civilizations, and the weakening of Egyptian and Assyrian civilizations. To this day, historians remain uncertain about the exact reasons behind this collapse. Rome, once boasting over a million inhabitants and serving as the seat of the Western Roman Empire for centuries, faced a dramatic decline in the 5th century. Within a few decades, the entire empire collapsed. It took until the 1930s for Rome to surpass its previous peak population. Fortunately, there are no historical examples of collapse events that resulted in more than 20% of the global population's demise. Many aspects of our physical infrastructure, such as machines, tools, and buildings, would still be intact and usable, placing us in a far better position than in 2500 BCE. The remaining 80 million survivors would have access to the wealth of knowledge accumulated by humanity. Moreover, some individuals might hold critical professions like engineers or chemists. It's quite likely that some people would have agricultural knowledge, helping feed the population. Okay, but let's make this scenario more personal. If you woke up one day to find 99% of the population missing, it would undoubtedly be an overwhelming and surreal experience. Survival would become your immediate priority, and your actions would largely depend on the resources and skills available to you. Here's what you would probably do. You'd take a moment to comprehend what's happened. This sudden disappearance of people would be shocking and confusing. Your friends and family would most probably be gone too, like it happened in Avengers. Your primary focus would be securing essential survival items, such as food, water, shelter, and medical supplies. You'd need to visit nearby grocery stores, pharmacies, and warehouses to gather provisions that could last for an extended period. Then you'd need to find other survivors. I mean, many people now lack essential skills like growing food, purifying water, or self-defense. You'd need to start learning them if there was no internet and no YouTube tutorials to rely on. Well, libraries, museums, and educational institutions have tons of information about the world and its history. Once you formed a community, you and your fellas would have to protect it like there's no tomorrow. Um, you might feel like there isn't one at that point anyway. While most technology might still work initially, you'd need to ensure the protection of power sources. To do that, you'd have to be very cautious. The world would be in turmoil so you'd need to remain vigilant and cautious of potential dangers. Without proper law enforcement and governance, there could be risks from wild animals, natural disasters, or even other survivors who might be hostile. Now let's explore the best and worst case scenarios. 
The sudden disappearance of so many people would create widespread chaos, leading to mass accidents and damage. With the absence of healthcare professionals and medical supplies, diseases could spread, leading to health crises, food production and distribution systems would collapse, and food shortages and famine could become a real possibility. Looting and violence could occur since desperate people would search for resources and try to survive. The best case scenario is that after all this chaos, survivors would eventually come together to support one another and form resilient communities. The world would have significantly fewer carbon emissions, leading to a positive impact on the environment. With a small population, resources like food and water might be more abundant and sustainable in the long run. Without the constraints of a highly populated world, people could focus on individual passions, arts, and creativity. With advanced technology still available, survivors might start working on preserving knowledge and advancing scientific research. But overall, the world would change drastically and the future would be uncertain. Your actions and the actions of other survivors would play a crucial role in shaping the new world and determining its trajectory. Feeling like a fishing pro? Head to the nearest water body and try your luck at reeling in some aquatic treats. Now, here's an idea. Become a green thumb superstar. Plant those seeds, nurture your crops, and watch your mini farm flourish. Farm to table cuisine, anyone? And how about those furry friends? If you spot any wandering pets, befriend them. And you've got yourself some loyal companions. Now take a deep breath, chin up, and embrace your inner survival guru. Remember, this might be a wild ride, but you've got the spirit and the skills to thrive in this post-apocalyptic feast of life. So go out there. There are almost no similarities between Earth and Jupiter. Ours is a sweet, small planet with plants and cute pandas. Jupiter is a giant gas horror with furious hurricanes which never subside. And if you fall into this planet, you might literally fly through it. But what would happen if our Earth was the size of the father of the solar system? Oh, this is going to be fun. Jupiter is a planet so big that I bet you can't even imagine its scale. Its radius is about 11 times the radius of Earth, and it's about 316 times more massive. So, to turn Earth into another Jupiter, we'd need to increase its radius by 11 times. If the planet's density remained the same, then the mass of our new Earth would increase greatly. Actually, it'd be as much as four times larger than Jupiter's. Of course, these changes wouldn't go smoothly. The very first thing that we would immediately notice, nope, not the size, gravity. It would increase by about 11 times compared to old Earth's. Scientists say we can actually survive on a planet with greater gravity, but only if it's less than five times stronger than what we have now. Well. Let's assume that we're daredevils, always ready to challenge nature. What would our life be like? Well, not very pleasant. After each step, you'd have to sit down on a bench and take a break, as if you've just run a marathon. Yes, it would be that hard to walk. Oh, and good luck with getting up later. In order to somehow move around this planet, we'd have to pump up very strong muscles. No more problems with junk food, because you'd have to become a heavy lifter just to get to the refrigerator. The force of gravity affects not only movement, but also the size of everything. 
Do you know that many astronauts gain some height due to weightlessness in space? So if you're worried about being short, here's a solution for you. On the other hand, strong gravity would make us all shorter. This would go not only for humans, but for everything on our planet. Trees would become very small. To grow upward, they would have to move water from their roots to branches, which would be unrealistic with such gravity. So they'd all turn into little bushes. Also, no more mountains. Even the largest ones would become very small. But at least now, everyone would be able to conquer Everest. This would also apply to animals. Our pets would have to quickly evolve into pumped up corgis just to be able to walk somehow. Oh, and say goodbye to birds, of course. If you think that's not enough suffering, let's add another thing. It would be very difficult for us to breathe. Atmospheric pressure would increase dramatically. That's because Earth would start to pull air toward itself with great force. You'd literally feel the weight of it on your shoulders. Remember what I said about taking a break after each step? Now, imagine that you'd also have to breathe through a pillow. Yeah. And that's not all. Atmospheric pressure plays an important role in the behavior of water molecules. It would be much more difficult for water to boil or turn into ice. Most icebergs would melt, and it's possible that we'd have no more clouds, too. All water vapor would come crashing down on us in giant torrents of rain. We'd be lucky if we didn't get flooded instantly. But, oddly enough, there would also be some advantages. For example, Everything around us would become much more spacious. Assuming we didn't get flooded, there would even be a bunch of deserted areas on the planet. Maybe land prices would finally fall. But these unexplored areas would most likely remain unexplored, since we'd hardly be able to travel across seas and oceans. Not only because moving across the water would be incredibly difficult, but also because all water bodies on the planet would become 10 times larger. The very thought of getting lost in the ocean is frightening, but imagine if it was 10 times deeper and bigger? Uh-oh. So, no more sailing. And forget about flying by plane, or visiting space ever again. But it seems like it's still not all. If Earth was the size of Jupiter, we'd also have volcanoes raging everywhere. Due to the increase in its mass, Earth would become terribly unstable. All extinct volcanoes would become active again, and there would be lava and poisonous gases everywhere. In 1883, there was the most destructive eruption in the history of humankind, the eruption of the Krakatoa volcano. It occurred on one small island, but people all over the planet could feel the consequences. The eruption destroyed the island, triggered many tsunamis, and clouds of poisonous gases spread for miles. Now imagine this, but 10 times worse. That's what would happen on our Jupiter-sized Earth. It would probably be similar to the fall of the Chicxulub meteorite, the one that wiped dinosaurs off the face of the Earth. Then, poisonous gases spread all over the planet, causing one of the greatest massive extinctions in the history of Earth. Oh. And we would also lose the magnetic field, like the cherry on top of the cake. The magnetic field is very important for life on Earth. 
According to Rory Barnes from the University of Washington, it shields life on the planet from the nastiness of space, which means all sorts of radiation and solar winds. There's a molten iron core inside our planet that is responsible for producing the magnetic field. If the amount of pressure on this core increased due to gravity, it could solidify. And because of this, Earth's magnetic field would disappear. We would be exposed to the effects of cosmic radiation. Too scary to even imagine. All right, so now we know that living on this new Earth would be a real nightmare. But what about outer space? You've probably heard that Jupiter, thanks to its strong gravity, protects us from asteroids. Well, this would become our job. Jupiter experiences about 24,000 collisions a year. And now, it'd be our destiny. Do you remember me mentioning the Chicxulub meteorite? Similar tragedies happen to our planet once every 100 million years or so. But if it became the size of Jupiter, these guys would visit us every Friday. Also, we'd have to say bye-bye to the moon. Our natural satellite is too close to us. So if Earth grew in size, it would be a real catastrophe. We would literally watch the moon being torn apart in the sky. Of course, after that, all these fragments would crash into us. One of the theories claims that billions of years ago, the moon somehow separated from Earth and its pieces gathered into a ball. Now, it would be like watching its creation rewind. And even if the moon survived, somehow remaining in Earth's orbit, the changes in the tides would still be dramatic. The consequences of these changes would be very unpredictable, but probably a bunch of tsunamis would be some of them. On the other hand, we'd probably gain a couple of new moons. Jupiter has as many as 79 of them. It would probably be a spectacular view if only gas clouds from all those volcanic eruptions didn't block it. Also, the appearance of a second giant planet would have significant consequences for the whole solar system. Don't worry, other planets wouldn't crash into us. Many people underestimate just how far the planets are from one another. But still, the new Earth would shift the orbits of other planets a little and affect the rotation speed and Earth itself would rotate around the Sun much more slowly because of its huge mass. For example, one year equals 12 Earth years on Jupiter. All this, of course, would greatly affect seasons and the climate in general. So, would there be life on Earth? Bold of you to even ask this question. But if one day we do manage to find a habitable super-Earth close to Jupiter in size, it would be very interesting to take a look at it.